Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Welcome, welcome to evening uh, service, to Illuminate service. How are you doing? Are you good? I hope all is well. Hope you're not too tired. And I hope you're excited for Bible study. Um, Bible study is going to be a mix of things. It's going to be a mix of, of course, there's usual excitement. But there's also uh, going to be a little bit of solemnity. Uh, some things for you to think about. Because uh, strongly I feel in my heart that the Lord is going to really launch many of you to an understanding of what really counts. And you understand what I mean as, as we're going to, to give you to an bring you to an understanding of what really counts in your life. Last week and, and so far, we've been on a series of First John. We've been studying the book. We're almost done. This is the latter chapter, the latter part of chapter four. And just as we stopped last week, we said one powerful truth. We established this truth. We said it. The heavens shook. The earth couldn't stand still. We said that God is love. I feel like as many names as God has been given, as many types of revelation that God has been given, things he's been called by, the mighty warrior, the powerful one, the almighty God, you know, the, the good shepherd, the, 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 the mediator, you know, we, we call God all these names, the, the I am that I am. As much as these are true of him, I believe truly that God said, you know what, of all these things, there's one thing I want to be identified by. One thing that if you call that thing, you're calling me. He said, I am love. It's huge. And the problem is a lot of believers underestimate the power of love. Subconsciously, we just think, we relegate love to just that thing we, we show to the people we care about, our friends, our family, our, our romantic advances, you know, that person you want to just show them some extra loving, godly, godly loving, you know, give them a holy kiss and things like that. But there is more to it. There is a love that is deeper than what the world can even experience. Some people try to be morally upright, but they can't get to that level because the one who is carnally minded, you know, it leads to death. The, the carnal mind leads to death, but the one who is spiritually minded, that leads to life. The Bible says there, there, is, there is something that you as a newborn creation can tap into the love of God and truly live by it that no one else can. Praise the name of Jesus. I want to read a scripture as we start. It's a very interesting scripture. And I'm, I'm doing this in the name of what we've been doing so far uh, in the book of John. A lot of repetitions in the book of John. A lot of things that were said, re-emphasized. And I want us to open Philippians chapter 3 from verse 1. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Oh, get ready for the word of God. Do you love the word of God? See, I love the Word of God. I honor the Word of God. I am transformed by the Word of God. I am the better for it. Glory to God. And even more so, I will teach the Word of God. Hallelujah. Oh, a minister of God just said that. I will teach the Word of God. Glory to Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 1. Are we there? Awesome. And, and uh, said Jesus, Paul said this to the Philippians. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> For to me to write 
<laughs> it's interesting that he starts by saying rejoice. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But for you, it is safe. It's funny, it's ironic how that I'm saying the same scripture, which I've read to you at least three times in this series, to rebuttress the fact that me saying the same things to you is not tedious. It's ironic, but it's true. Because you see, when there's repetition of, of the truth, there is safety. Sometimes, have you noticed that as much as you, you hear one thing one time, you need to hear that thing again. And that thing again. You might have known it all your life. But the more you hear it, the better it is for you. You're motivated to continue in line of what you've heard till you hear it again. It's like what happens with the vaccine now. You've gotten the vaccine two doses. We thought that was all. Now they're telling us to get booster shots. And then you take another booster. You know, you run the race for some months. You need another one to keep going. You know, it's just that idea of boosters. You know, the Bible tells us that there is, there is safety uh, in, in saying the same things. Because especially in, 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 in a context where John is trying to abolish false doctrine. He's trying to abolish the idea that is contrary to who Jesus is. He's trying to say, look, I'm saying, I'm going to, he's going to repeat a lot of things. He's going to say the same things many times, but it's for your benefit. Glory to Jesus. I want to start by teaching a series, uh, teach, um, sharing a story, I beg your pardon. By the way, we're in verse 9 of chapter 4 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to verse 9. But I want to start with a very interesting story that I stumbled upon. I'd heard about it a long time ago, and just recently I, I came upon it again. So there was this couple, uh, there's a man by the name of Jim Elliott and his beautiful wife. I've never seen her before, but I, I believe men of God like to get beautiful wives. It's, it's, a, it's a given. We know it's a, it's a common rule. Even though we preach, it doesn't matter how she looks. Look, sometimes she might not look what... No, no, no. She doesn't have to look like Beyonce. But she can be your fiancé. If she has the spirit of God, that's all you need, my dear. She must be fine, though. <laughs> Don't let them deceive you. And so this wonderful woman um, met him. Um, in a, you know, she, was a, she was going to be a professor in a, in a college. And these people went on a missionary trip. They went on a ship. It was in 1953, thereabouts. Um, they traveled to a place called Ecuador. All right, they, they went to some known places in the Indian Territory, and then they went to some unknown tribes. They wanted to penetrate. And, I, and I, look, this was not a time of airplanes where you just book your flights, boom, you're there. This is by ship. So you're living the comforts of your home. You're living, living your, your education, the place that you've established yourself, a renowned person in society with a high societal status, renowned, respected by all. We say, now, I want to leave those things and journey to a place I don't really know. But the Lord has called me to, to be a missionary, to be a witness to these people. And these people moved, sailed for many days, finally got to this place in Ecuador. Sadly, Jim Elliott, and he had a couple of his uh, companies. She, the, his wife was working in another uh, province, you know, with some other people. He and some other, I think seven other of his buddies, went to a particular tribe to evangelize there. And how did they agree to these people? According to the records, Jim Elliot was speared to death. He was literally speared with a weapon, speared to death, and killed his other companions. Now, this was a terrible loss. This is someone who 
had high hopes. God had called me to witness to these people. He was killed. And of course, it was a great loss. Uh, you see his wife, Elizabeth, do something. She mourned him. She wept over it. But she stayed there. She left to do the burials and, and the ceremony, but she came back to that same place where they had killed her husband. And a place where there was no fruit before, somehow she stayed there for three years. And many, the, the, the writings say that thousands of people came to the Lord because of this woman. Hundreds and thousands of people came to know the Lord. And guess what? She baptized the man that killed her husband, the very same man that killed her husband. She baptized him for the Lord. <laughs> it sounds like a story. By the way, she was an author, so she wrote all these things in her books. The question is, <laughs> what manner of love or mindset, or maybe it's even a mental illness, I don't know, you, you tell me, whether it's love or a mental illness, that someone leaves all they have to sacrifice their time, their resources, to evangelize, to help a community, and how do you repay them? You kill my husband. You kill him in cold blood, no remorse, no repentance, no justice. But somehow I still feel like God called us really to you people. And somehow that in, amidst the sorrow and tragedy, God wants to bring beauty out of this. He wants to bring his gospel. And the same man who should pay for the sins of, of murdering my husband in cold blood, I'm going to lead this same man who to me might be the chief of all sinners to the Lord. What kind of madness drives a person like that? I'm telling you it's not someone who's ordinary. I'm telling you there's not someone who lives their life unyielded to the Lord. There's, there's something here about this kind of love that is willing to forsake everything, to forgive, and to go even further than just forgive, but to establish relationship. There's something here. There's, there's, in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm reminded of, of a quality of love, agape, that says love endures all things. Love endures all things. It's powerful. Verse 9. We're going to 1 John chapter 4 from verse 9. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Are we there? In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. In what? He's going to tell you. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He's telling us if you want to find the greatest expression of love, the way that God had expressed his love to us, it's in this. It's in, in, I've said this before in John chapter 3 from verse 16. You know, this is, I'm speaking from the, from, the, the, from the mind of John. He'd written before about this in John 3, 16 when Jesus said, but God so, so loved this world, he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son into the world. And he's trying to establish something. The greatest expression of God's love was seen in the sacrifice of his son. He's not saying, look, if you want to know how much I love you, and, and this might get personal because we have those phases of our lives where we ask the question, does God really love me? Where is God's heart concerning me? Especially if you've messed up big time and made those mistakes you shouldn't have made. You ask, does God really still love me? 
And I believe this is what John is trying to do. He's trying to get you out of the physical realm. He's trying to get you out of the, the, the experiential, empirical realm where it's about feelings and goosebumps and situation and circumstance. He wants to point you rather to an event, to point you to a time in history where God decidedly expressed his love in the sacrifice of Jesus. He's telling you that, look, you've thought that God loved you by the way you felt, but you cannot love God by your feelings or perceive his love by your feelings. The only way to perceive the love that God has shown you is by faith in his son. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? This is powerful, and many of you will need this for a rainy day. That the greatest expression of love is not when God gets me a car. I know I need a car right now, but it's not when he gives me a car or that house or that job. These are just but byproducts of his love. If he freely gave Jesus for you, as Romans 8, Romans 8 says, how would he not with him freely give you all things to enjoy? If you seek first the kingdom of God, the basic needs of your life are added to you. It seems to me that the priority was always much more the gift of salvation before the gift of things. And so John is trying to redirect our idea that look, if you want to understand how God's love for you was manifested, you see it in sacrifice. You see it in his selflessness through Jesus Christ. Praise the name of Jesus. And this is the proof. God didn't meet you. This is the proof that God's love is it's transcendent and it's, it's beyond just now. Because at a time when, and we're going to get to this, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But by the, at a time where he showed and expressed this love, you are not perfect. You are not a good guy. You're not a good girl. You're making terrible mistakes. You are trying to live your life your own way. Maybe you are morally upright to an extent, but guess what? You were born in sin. And so at the point, even before when the time Jesus was incarnated, the love had preceded that time. You see, and if you follow this ministry, we always show how that the Old Testament prepared us for the Messiah. There was a whole thousand of years preparing us for the coming Messiah, meaning the love of God started way before John 3.16, started way before there was a man on the cross dying for us. There was a timeline, and the timeline of God's love was outside of time. God loved you before you were even formed. God loved you before you were even conceived. And even while you were in your sin, he expressed that love. And so when you ever get to a point in your life, and this is a practical thing, this is not just a story. If you ever feel like God doesn't love you and you're unloved, and maybe you had people leave you and you have this anxiety for abandonment, you feel like God will abandon you or God will not be there, or maybe God gets tired and he's done with you and the seventh time is, is the last time you think that this is all that there is to God's love, think again. That God loved you while you were yet a sinner, it tells you that even when you make those mistakes, he still loves you. You don't have to feel it because sometimes the guilt, the condemnation might speak louder than the grace of God. But by faith, how do you know that God loves you? Tell me, tell me. How do you know? 
Because he sent his son to die on the cross for me. God became flesh and took my place on the cross. Hallelujah. God died my death. He was buried. He was risen. And he is seated in heaven because the work is finished. And his love is forevermore. Hallelujah. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Because somehow we can't, we, we can't fathom a God whose love is unending. And so he tells you that his mercies are new every morning. When you wake up, you can wake up knowing that God still loves you. And you sleep at night maybe in, in, in the darkness of condemnation, but you wake up again knowing that God still loves me. And you go back again feeling bad if you made some mistake. But you know that God still loves you. And then at the time you realize that the love of God and the goodness of God drives you to repentance, then you start to experience that consistency he wants you to seek. He's patient. Love is patient, not just for us to others, but from God to us. He was patient while you were yet a sinner. Now that you are getting to know the right steps and walk to maturity till you can run in maturity, he is patient with you still. It's a character of love. Oh, glory to God. I can spend so much time on justice, but someone needed to hear that. You are not unloved by God. God loves you. How do you know it? Yes, sometimes there are assurances You just have that nudge. You just know in the time of worship and devotion, God is here. He's present. I love him. He loves me. But beyond that, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman can see beyond that and say, God loves me regardless of how I feel. If you base your life on signs and feelings and things, until you see a vision or a dream, you don't believe God loves you, you will end up making mistakes. You end up assuming, have you ever had, see, have you ever had a quarrel with someone before? Of course you have. And has there been a time where you are not even having a conversation? You had a quarrel, but you don't know where this person's mind is at. But somehow, because your mind and your imagination is so active, you start to fill in the blanks. You start to say, this is probably what this person is thinking. Or this person thinks about me this way. I can't help it. This is just how they feel. And it gets you to feel what? Even more distance from them. Maybe the person thinks the worst about me. We do that with our friends and even so with God. But God wants you to know that the assumption every time about his love will be that he loves you. And there is no middle wall of partition. And the time where you were separated from the commonwealth of Israel, now his blood, the blood of Christ has drawn you nigh and it's not taking you anywhere else. You are near to God. We are here with God. He is with you and he loves you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That was powerful. Verse 10. And this is love. And he's going further again. We're talking, by the way, of a teaching that I've called perfect love. He's trying to unravel what this love looks like so that you can identify it in your life. It says, and this is love. And there's a plot twist here. Not that we loved God. It seems weird and we'll, we'll, we'll dig in a little bit more. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Powerful, powerful. He said, this is how we understand love. Not that we made the first step. Not that we tried to say, God, (laughs) I brought you flowers. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Do you love me back? It's not God, you know, from the first time I met you, you were like a a sun in my sky. You were like the stars, the morning star. God, 
Will you? <laughs> I'm going to say, oh, yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not how it happens. You didn't make the first step. You couldn't make the first step. You were unable. The Bible describes you in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. You had no life and no love to offer. But this is how you know love. God took the first step. Glory to God. Do you believe that God took the first step? Let's read the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. Thank you, Father. Oh, God, that they might see the revelation of your love. Look, there's a revelation of love that cannot be taught. It cannot be taught by a teaching that I'm doing right now. It can be activated, but it can't be taught. I can't. There's a level of love you walk in that God and by his spirit inspires and you start to live. That's what I want this teaching to unlock in your life. That it's possible, there's a possibility of love that is beyond what the world expects. It's a love that is unheard of. Oh, glory to God. Romans 5 verse 7 to 8, are we there? Are we there? Are we there, guys? Glory to God. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. So you have good people in this life. Think about some people right now. Maybe even your family members. It's, it's scarce. Like even for a righteous person, if you're going to put your life on the line for someone, you're going to sacrifice yourself and catch that grenade for that person. It's difficult, even though they are good people, right? It's hard. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. If at all there's anyone you can think of dying for, you think of the people who have also given themselves in some way. You want to give their life, your life for them. But God, but God, there's a, there's a difference. He's, he's describing the, the, the kind of love that the world has when you try to favor the one who is righteous. But the kind of love that God shows, he says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners. <laughs> Literally, like this is not just a figurative, nice thing, poetic thing to say. Literally, while we're yet sinners, and I'm even taking us back 2,000 years at the cross where there were people who once shouted Hosanna, now we're shouting crucify him to this Jesus who was literally giving himself as a ransom for their sins. And as he's looking at them giving himself, they were literally still sinners, still, still shouting at him, still spitting at him, still mocking him, still doing all all these things, but he still died. While you were yet a sinner, while you were a bad guy, you were, you were deep in your rebellion against God, he died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He gave his very life for you. That is what love looks like when one righteous man dies for the undeserving. That is the love that God has shown as the example and demonstration of what love should always look like. <laughs> Powerful. But what you see in this is that the, the love of God and the salvation of man was not an afterthought. This was not a plan B, that, that just came up when Adam fell, and I've talked about this a lot. It's not that kind of plan. This was something that in the plans and purposes of God, he had already established. He chose to love you before you even existed. 
Like I said, his love transcends time. And look at this scripture, Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, glory to God. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 to 5. We're going to read it quickly. I'll wait for you to open there, but open as quickly as you can. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 to 5. You know this all too well. And if you can echo it with me, please go ahead. All right? Are you ready? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Glory to Jesus. And he did this in where? In Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Ah, where did he choose you? Before the foundations, before the world was weaved and its foundation was formed. He had chosen us in him. Glory to God. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us to the adoption as sons, he had preordained that we will be adopted as his sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According, why did he do this? What moved him? Was he trying to boast about something? Was he trying to make a point? Yes, he was. And he did it all because of the good pleasure of his will. He, he was designed, I can't even say God was designed, but God can do nothing else but love. His default setting will always be love. And he did this before we were even lovable, before we even existed, before the worlds were even formed, before he said, let there be light. Think about that for a second. Think about that. This was always God's plan. It was going to formulate in time as time would come, but this was always the plan. It was not some plan B he concocted with Angel Michael and Gabriel and some other people and tried to. He didn't. It was always his plan. Oh, it's powerful. You had a plan to save you. And, and, and some people ask this question. And, and this is a, a whole other camp in Christianity. If we were chosen before the foundation of the, of the world, are you saying God had and picked some of us who would be saved? If you already knew those that would be saved, it makes sense that he picked those ones who would already be, be saved right from the beginning. And of course, we've trashed this idea in chapter 2. Where John said, look, he's not just the propitiation of our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. There is provision in Christ. The choosing happened in the chosen. Aye. The choosing happened in the chosen. The elect that, that God would, you know, would, those that would be called the elect are only elect in the elect. The elect of God, the chosen one of God. Literally, the, 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 the term, the Christ, means the anointed one. Some traditions say the chosen one. He is the elect of God, and all those who put faith in him are chosen in him. Because before the foundation of the world, Christ will be the means through which anyone will be saved. And so anyone who puts faith in him will be saved, will be predestinated as sons unto God's glory. Hallelujah. Does that make sense to you? I'm going to read this last scripture, Revelation 13, verse 8. Very powerful. Revelation 13, verse 8. It says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. And it's talking about those who are deceived by the Antichrist, right? And it says, um, those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain 
from the foundation of the world. Of course, if we know any better, we know that the lamb being spoken of here was Jesus, the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist had echoed. And here you see that it says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Right from the beginning. In God's plans and purposes, Christ was already crucified. And the positioning of the cross was that so that in, in, a, in such an opportune time, when Jesus comes to the scene, those who have put faith in him, the one to come, and those who put faith in the one who has already come, would meet at the cross at this point in time where God expressed his love through the sacrifice of Jesus. Glory to God. Oh, this is so powerful. Verse 11. 1 John 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I love this. And we're going we're gonna to go deeper into it because it's repeated um, subsequently. But I'm reminded of the story of the merciful servant. That's what it is, really. It's a story of the merciful servant, the one who owed a huge debt. And, and the king looked at him and said, look, this man, the kind of debt you're owing me, you're not going to pay me. So just to manage my expectations... It's fine. Take it. I'm, I don't want it again. Just go. Go with your wahala. Go. It's fine. It's okay. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, God, how, how can I repay you? You can't. That's why I'm saying you should go. <laughs> oh, God, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. Your family, sir. Amen, sir. Thank you, sir. And he opens the door, leaves the king's court, and is walking. Hey, oh, God. Ah, what would I have done? Hey, what would I... Hey, Suleiman, come here. Call that guy. Suleiman, come. Where is my 200 naira? Bring this. I don't want to hear. It's a terrible story of a terrible man who was forgiven, who was shown love and was not able to replicate that love to someone else who was equally as undeserving as he was. And when the king heard it, and I like that the story shows us the disposition of the king. The king heard it and got mad. He was upset. How, how can you tell, come on, how can you tell me that you owed me $2 million and this guy owed you only $200 and I forgave you, you didn't for, oh, bring him. God, get that guy. And they bundled this guy, threw him in prison to a place of darkness and where there was gnashing of teeth, the parable says. First of all, it first shows us that the, the love of God is to be multiplied. Do you see? from one person to the next to the next, from God. But it also shows the heart of the Father when we don't replicate his love. He's not pleased. When we've been shown so much mercy and we cannot show mercy to the next person, are you merciful as God is merciful? Are you merciful? God is grieved. The Spirit of God is grieved when we don't show mercy, when we don't love people as God has loved us. I know they get on your nerves. I know they're not the best people character-wise. I know they have a lot of room to grow, but that's the point. So do you. Don't you see it? You're the, you're the problem. They also might be a problem, but you, are also, you also were a problem. And God said, you know, this is a problem that I've chosen to solve in my son, Jesus, so that you can extend that same grace to any other person who is equally undeserving of it. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. And we're getting into some very deep things. No one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. This is powerful. I want you to open this scripture. Go to 1 Peter for me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Very quickly. Brush upon it so God that your revelation be made known to your people, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Revelations. Revelations, God. All right, are you there? I'm going to read from verse uh, 7. First Peter 1, verse 7. Are we there? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Whom having not seen, (laughs) you love. You've not seen Jesus, you've not seen the Father before. Right? You haven't. From verse 5, he says you are kept by the power of God. This God that you are kept by, you've not seen him, not once. <laughs> and it even goes further and says, though now you do not still see him. Have you seen God? I answer me now. You know, in the book of John chapter 4, the description that Jesus said of God is that God is spirit. God is spirit. Hmm. And it says, even though you do not see him now, yet believing, you rejoice. Rejoice inexpressible, full of glory. What it's trying to tell you is that you haven't seen God and you still haven't seen God now, but there's a response you are giving to God anyways. And, and, and that's the place of faith. But this is where I'm going to. I want to establish this God. And, and, and there's a scripture that, that comes to mind, right? First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, if I'm not mistaken. It says, now to the, to the king, eternal, immortal, inv- invisible God, God only wise. Invisible. He cannot be seen. But then, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he tells him in John chapter 3, Anyone who is not born again will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It says, anyone who is not born again, he emphasizes, we will not see God. We see another uh, one where Jesus speaks in the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How? How do we see God? And I believe there are two ways we see God. Two ways that we see God. Number one, through his Christ, through Jesus, through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. Before we go to Hebrews, let's, let's read a couple of scriptures. Glory to Jesus. John chapter 1 from verse 18. And by the way, remember, it's still the same John who wrote this book. But in the book of John chapter 1 verse 18, this is what he has to say. And then we're going to jump to chapter 3. Are you there with me? Are you still here? Are you still with me? Glory to God. Awesome. It says, no one has seen God at any time. He's telling you, no one has seen God at any time. And I know some of you will start to remember some stories you've heard. What about Moses? Didn't Moses see the backside of God? That was only but a picture. That was not God. He told him, the day you see God, you will surely die. And in terms of, of seeing God, I believe that was 
and having the experience of the presence of God at a time where he was not blood washed. Like with the high priest, when they go into the very presence of God, if there's anything wrong with with their service in terms of the sprinkling of blood or any rites that was not done the right way, instant judgment. All right? But look at this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So he says no one has seen God at any time, but there's this only begotten Son who is in the bosom, and the bosom represents the closest innermost part and place of the Father. And this Son has come to declare this Father. He has come to reveal, he has come to show this Father. But no one has seen him except the Son. It goes in chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. This is what he has to say. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Flip those pages, come on. Go with me. It says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. No one has gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Glory to God. So he's saying, look, no one has gone to heaven. No one has experienced the glory of the Lord and been in the presence of the father except the one who came from heaven. And he's saying is the son of man. He himself came from heaven. Look at Hebrews. I'm going to read quickly from Hebrews chapter 1. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 1. And then we'll go to Colossians chapter 1 as well. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 2 to 3. Verse 2 to 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 just to give you some context. Hebrews 1 from verse 1 to 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophet, verse 2, has in this last day spoken to us by his son. He's speaking to us. He's revealing himself and his will to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, the express image of this invisible person Jesus is and upholds all things by the word of his power. I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 1 very quickly from verse 15. Glory to Jesus. I hope I'm correct. I just winged this. I'm not sure if it's right. But let's check. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15. Uh, There we go. It's correct. It's not easy. Uh, He said, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's what he's saying about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to have an idea of how the invisible father looks like, you look at Jesus, his son. You look at him. You see the Father, you see his heart, you see his mission, you see his will, you see his passion, you see his compassion, you see it all in the person of his Son. You want to see his power, you look to the Son. You want to see his glory, you look to the Son. Glory to God. This is powerful. But even more powerfully, and I say this now with all humility, God wants to be seen not just through his Son, but through his sons. God wants to be seen through you. God wants to be seen not just through his only begotten son, 
but through his other begotten sons. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. And the truth is, many people have not realized their place in God. I know it's a difficult thing sometimes. Where, where is my place in the body of Christ? What am I called to do? An evangelist, an apostle, a pastor, a prophet? What have I been called to do? But one thing is sure. There's one thing default you have been called to do. You've been called to be an ambassador of Christ. You've been called to represent him, to be a reflection of him. And when you look in the mirror, and when people look at the mirror of your life, they can see the Father in that mirror, in that reflection. It's powerful. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 20. Let me, let me give you some emphasis there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 20. I'm going to read as quickly as I can because of time. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He says now then we are. We are ambassadors of God. We are representatives of God. We are replicas of God. Such that when people see us, they see how we live, how we speak, how we walk, how we talk. They say, this is this God in flesh. Literally, this happened. When Paul and Barnabas went to preach to a certain, in a certain place, in a Greek territory, they looked at this man who healed this person of, 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 of a sickness brought this person to their feet. And these people were moved. Moved. And they said, the gods have come to us in the form of men. And they named Paul Hermes. They made, named Barnabas Zeus. They named them gods immediately. Why? Because there were elements of these people that were godlike. They were beyond the natural. But now we're not even just talking in terms of a show of power. We're talking in terms of the character of God, which is love and which by, by just so you know, drives his power as well. So that they can see your life. Like, think about it. That someone can look at you, Shegun, hmm? Dami. They can look at your life and say, ah, I, I can't put my finger on it, but you are you God? <laughs> I know it almost seems blasphemous, but this is what God wants for you. That somehow people can look at you and ask, and at least say that God is in you. Out of the truth, God is in you. Nicodemus came to Jesus literally and said, see, no one can deny the things you've said and the things you've done because God truly is with you. There's a way that people can look at you and your life and your speech. I know you might have, have had mood swings. I know that you might have had a bad day. But somehow, some way, even amidst that, you have the godlike kind of love you emulate. You just exude this love everywhere. And people are like, how? Are you not tired of loving? Are you not tired of getting burnt and betrayed and hurt and taken advantage of? And somehow you still forgive. Somehow you're still accommodating. Somehow you love people unnecessarily you love people unendingly and unconditionally this is the will of God for you dear brother, dear sister this is what God wants for you to be his ambassador I'm going to read another scripture just to convince you a little bit more Matthew chapter 5 from verse 16 Matthew chapter 5 from verse 16 all glory to God most high praise be to you O God 
Thank you, Father. Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your, let your light, what does it say, let your shine so shine? <laughs> God will not let me fall. Let your light so shine before men. Before who? God doesn't need you to impress him. Your light, he made that light shine. There's not, he's the one that lit up that light, but it's not for him. You were in darkness. Your role, your only role was to be in darkness for him to give you light first. That was it. And then he tells you, let that light shine where? Before men. It's, it tells you there is an importance. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. That you actually shine before men. Paul echoes this in Philippians 2 where he says, in this dark and perverse crooked generation in which we shine as lights. We shine as lights. You must shine. And it, there must be a distinction between your kind of life and that of the world. Between your kind of love and that of the world. The one of the world where it's tit for tat and, and quid pro quo. You do me, I do you. But yours is no, I do because I I love. That's it. Final. As sacrifice because I love. That's it. Final. This is what God wants for you. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see. It's important they see it. That they might see your ambassadorial good works and glorify your Father in heaven. At the end of the day, if people call you and say there is God in you, it's not for you, it's for him. It goes back to him. But the opposite is the truth. There's a way to blaspheme the name of the Lord, and it's not just by saying, oh, oh, you know, effing this, or you say a curse word with the Lord's name. That's not how you blaspheme the Lord alone. By your actions, by your words, by your deeds, you can drag him in the mud. It's very easy and it's not far-fetched. When you hear of someone, and I say this with all, with all sense of sensitivity, if you hear of someone who was, was faithful in, in, in the work of the Lord, who was, was strong in the faith, and you hear that the person fell, and it was a scandalous activity, something that should not even be heard amongst unbelievers. You heard it. Like, eh, this same person, ah, what does it do? What does it do? Somehow it affects your faith. Somehow it... It makes you question things about God. Some, somehow, some people even say, I beg, you people are all the same. Go to Twitter. When is a scandal? Just check what people are saying. They blaspheme the name of the Lord because of the works that a person did. Your works are important in this, and especially your, your works of love. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and I'll read one more after this. Glory to Jesus. Oh, Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 14. Are you learning something? I hope so. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 14. This is what it has to say. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Question, and I know that many people have different renditions for this text, but the question is this. Has there at any time where you followed peace with people Maybe there was someone you were quarreling with and you, were, you made peace with them. You were a peacemaker. Ah, things are nice. And then your walk with the Lord, you were just holy and nice. And just because you were there and you were holy, you saw the Lord. Like he just revealed himself in a vision. And some people also think that maybe this is at the end of life. Maybe when they die, because they were holy and followed peace, they'll get to see the Lord on the other side. And I understand. But let's go a bit further. Let's see the context. Look at verse 15. 
looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. When you say someone is falling short of the grace of God, you're talking about their conduct. Their conduct. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Remember, the context is making peace with all men. So if you're talking about if there's a root of bitterness that is anti-love, that is against love, that is brewing hatred, people will not see the Lord. This is talking about conduct amongst believers. So he's saying the way you present yourself in being able to make peace, being able to live a holy life in the sight of your brethren, when they see your good works, it's tied to that. When they see your good works, your peacemaking, your holy living and righteous living, they see God in you. Without which no one, and that no one is talking about those around you, they will not see the Lord. Because there will be bitterness, there will be all sorts of evil in that place. And you cannot see God. So he tells you when you pursue peace with all people and holiness, people will see God. Without these things, no one will see the Lord. And I believe it's, it's the same thing we just read. that They will see the good works that you do, and they see God in it and say, God, thank you. Has anyone ever come to you and you did something so good for that person, sacrificial, and they say, God, I thank God. I thank God for Chisum. Oh, God, I thank God for Rebecca. Oh, God, I thank God for Yinka. Thank you, God. Like, God, how, how are you so good? Have you ever been in need so desperately and someone came through in that dying moment? That's how you see good works and glorify the Father. Glory to Jesus. One last thing, John chapter 13. I have to reference this because John wrote this as well. So John chapter 13 from verse 34 to 35. Thank you, Jesus. Bratus mankiretes. Thank you, Lord. It says, a new commandment I give to you. That's what? You love one another. And, and John is saying this in, in the same book. We read it in verse 11, I believe. All right? To love one another. And then he says, uh, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He repeats it. And he says, now, the reason you should love one another is because I have loved you. And also in the manner that I have loved you, it says, as I have loved you. Love one another. By this, verse 35, all will know. So I, I, I can't help but see a pattern here where the love of God is meant to be showed off. It's meant to be showed off to the world. It's meant to be displayed. See, this is how love looks like. It's, it's like so that men see the Lord, so that men will see your good works. Now he's saying here, that many will know, that all will know, all people will know and see that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is an ID card by which people can identify you, where you belong. It doesn't have, it's not the color of your lanyard. It's love. The way you wear love, they can tell that you are the disciple of Jesus Christ, that you are his ambassador, that you represent him. That's how, God, that's how God can be seen, through his son and through his sons. Glory to Jesus. Verse 13, 1 John 4, 13. It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. 
By this love, we know that we are abiding in him. So look, and I want to I emphasize this a lot, right? I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you, right? But here's how you can tell that you're abiding in God, that you're really, you and God are one. You are in God, he is in you. It's when you walk in love. That's it. It's as simple as that. If God is love and you're walking in love, it means that you're walking in God. It's that simple. It's that simple. You're walking in him. He's walking in you and working in you. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. First John 3 verse 24, the previous chapter, we read that it says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, and this commandment, by the way, is love. We read it. It's love and believing in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And then it goes on to say, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. So there's a knowledge that we have by the spirit that we belong to him. And it's the same spirit of love. He says, you know, God has shed abroad, you know, shed his, his love abroad in our hearts. By what? Can we read it together? Maybe now you see the context. Romans chapter 5 from verse 5. I'll read it very quickly. Romans 5, 5. This is what it says. It says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. By what? By the Spirit who was given to us. We experience the love of God, and we can replicate and show forth that love by this this self-same Spirit. Glory to Jesus. Romans chapter 8 from verse 9 to 10 says this. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not belong to the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, right? So that, he's just saying, look, if you really belong to the Lord, you must have the Spirit of God. Praise the name of Jesus. So yeah, that's it. That's what the scripture is saying. Uh, praise the name of Jesus. Verse 14. Verse 14. It says, And we have seen and testified, that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. And I believe while this is, is his, his way of saying, look, we can tell that the Father, we can discern by faith that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. We can know from the Scriptures, according to Scriptures, we can know that. But I believe he's speaking here as a witness. He was there. He saw. And now he can testify that Jesus truly came to be the Savior of the world right? He knew the mission of Jesus. You know, and one thing is that, you know, to some people, what he did on Golgotha was some martyr who believed his faith so much, was willing to die. But now through the lens of the cross, we see that it's different, that one event in Golgotha affected all nations and all people everywhere. This is how we know. We've seen and we can testify that God, the Father, sent his Son to save the world. Praise the name of Jesus. He didn't come as some political figure. He came as a spiritual savior. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 15. Trying to, trying to keep to time. Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And I know we've already established this last week. We talked about people who deny this. That Jesus is not the son of that Jesus is the son of God. Some people say Jesus is not the son of God. 
because God cannot have sons. People have that idea. God has only slaves or servants. He cannot have a son. But I want to talk a bit about the, the sonship of, of, of Jesus Christ. I'll just summarize it as quickly as I can. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. People don't understand what it means because they think that, you know, God had relations with Mary. Some people think it's Mary Magdalene. Some say it's, it's the Mary, the mother of Jesus, indeed. He had relations with her, and through the natural process of procreation, they had a child and named him Jesus. That's, that couldn't be further from the truth. But this is how Jesus is the Son of God. I'm going to read a scripture and summarize it from there. Romans chapter 1 from verse... I'm going to read from verse 1 to 4, actually. Romans chapter 1 from verse 1 to 4. Glory to Jesus. We're talking about the sonship of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Are you there? Are you there? Yes, sir. Great. Beautiful. All right, so it says this. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through, who he promised before, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning what his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So when you look at the lineage of David according to human genealogy, you can trace it to David. You can trace the birth of Jesus to David and to Abraham. You can understand what is being said. So by reason of his birth and his incarnation, he was a son. He was only begotten at the incarnation. And we're going to read further. Then it says this. And he was declared to be the son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness, that's the Holy Spirit. So he was declared to be the son of God with power by the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. So by reason of his resurrection as well, he was declared to be what? The son of God. So by incarnation and by resurrection, he was declared to be the son of God. And I will explain both. By incarnation, he was the only begotten son of God. To the end that he will become the first begotten and the firstborn of all creation. And by first, it means others are, are, are expected to come. Do you understand? Do you understand what it said? Except the corn of wheat stand, uh, falls to the ground, it stands alone. But it will bring many fruits, many, many fruits, many, many sons to glory. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the idea. That he was first begotten for us to be a part of that. To be joint heirs with him. And he, he, the Bible also says he's not afraid to call us brethren. It's powerful. So this is how Jesus is the son of God. But he says anyone who confesses and believes in this abides in God. You abide in sound doctrine. You abide in the truth and the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. If you believe this. It's so important. You can see how our vital doctrines, foundational doctrines are so important. He's saying this, that Jesus came in the flesh, as we read last week, that Jesus is the Son of God and that indeed Jesus is God. And even by making the statement that Jesus is the Son of God, it's an equation to saying that Jesus is God. Because 
it, it's a thing of, of type. If you're a man and you have a child, that child is also human, just like you. But if you're talking about God, the child that comes from God will be God as well. The class of God. And so that is what we believe. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 16. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for you. My question to you is, do you really know this? Have you known and believed the love that God has for you? It's a question to think about. Do you really know it? Do you really believe it? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. I love this. I know it sounds like it's been said before, but here's what he's saying. If you're talking about spiritual growth, if you want to compare someone who is grown in maturity to the Lord versus someone who isn't, show me someone who is arrogant. Show me someone who doesn't care about the body of Christ. Show me someone who, who really doesn't sacrifice and is self-centered. That same person might work many miracles. That same person might, might give some money to some foundations. That same person might, might just be this person that preaches well, sounds so eloquent. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, and if you check it out, you see, it says, and though, verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. The previous verse says, even if I have great faith that I can move mountains, and I'm not doing motivated by love, it means nothing. The world can literally imagine that. That is scary. The world can see you and say, wow, this person is all that. This person is glamorous. This person is doing this and doing that. And this person is working miracles, doing all these mighty things. But if you're not doing them motivated by love, if you're not doing it abiding in the love of God, it means nothing to God. To God, you're wasting your time. You're just making noise. You're doing nothing. And by all means, I would rather be the person who might not do things so spectacularly, but I do it with the right motivation. I do it in love. I do it sacrificially. I would rather be that person, get the commendation of heaven than the, appraise, than the praises of men. Praise the name of Jesus. He's also saying that there's no spiritual growth that can happen if there's no growth in love. You cannot grow spiritually in God if you're not growing in love because God is love. You cannot. Yes, I want to pray. I want to study my Bible 24-7. I want to fast. I want to pray. These are great exercises. I will always recommend you do that. But if you're not growing in not just your, your knowledge of God's love, but in your working of God's love, you are not growing. You are not abiding in God. You are far from that, far from maturity. A true test of a mature Christian is the one that you do something to and they respond in love. You hurt them, they respond in love. It might not always be the easiest thing. But think about it. It's easier to retaliate. It's easier to pay evil for evil. But the things that are harder that someone else can do easier, it tells you that this person has trained themselves, has yielded so much to the spirit of love, so much that they can now do it much more easier than the average person. That an Elizabeth Elliot 
can say, look, I was hurt. My, my husband was murdered by these criminal savages, but they need Jesus. They are also deserving of love. That when I look through the eyes and the lens of Jesus, I see people whom Jesus died for. And so no matter what, even though you killed my husband, I believe in a greater resurrection, but you, you will be saved. And she baptized Think about it. My, my goal is to baptize you, you murderer. I will baptize you. You will be saved. Think about that. That's, that's remarkable. It's unheard of. That's true maturity. And many people don't realize it. You think it's when you have a church of thousands of people that you're a mature Christian or you've trained people. It means nothing if you're not actively walking in the love of God. Praise the name of Jesus. It means you can do a lot of activity and to God it means nothing. It's a scary thing to think about. But I pray that that is not your case and that is not your portion in Jesus' name. When God sees you, he will welcome you and congratulate you for the work you've done because it will add up in the end of the day. You will get the rewards of your labor and it will not be thrown in the fire and burnt in Jesus' name. Verse 17. Oh, thank you, Lord. It says, love has been perfected among us in this. How do you know that love has been perfected in you? How do you know that you've received the love of God, you've understood the love of God, and you stand in the love of God? It's by this, that you may have boldness in the day of judgment. That you can have boldness in the day of judgment. The word for perfect here, uh, ideally in the Greek word, you should have a teleo, but in the Greek, you, you, in some renditions, it's teleo, teleo, or you see it as teteliotai. It sounds fancy, it sounds like it's a mouthful, but at the end of the day, it's, it's an exaggeration of perfect. If, if telio, which is maturity and completeness, is what telio means, then telio, telio, which is the word used for perfected here, is perfectly perfect. Perfectly perfected. Completely complete. Where you know that the love, it's, it's an acid test of how you know truly that God loves you, that that love has been perfected in you. It's that you have boldness to stand before God on the day of judgment, knowing that God truly loves you, even in the day of judgment. It says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And... When I look at it, right, I know that there are two camps as to what this means, right? There's, there are those who say, okay, in terms of right standing, as Jesus is, so are we. As Jesus stands right before God, so are we in this world. But there's also the side of right living, that as he is, we also can represent his love in that way. He also can represent his love as he is. We also are in this world. We are representatives and vessels of his love. I believe it's both. I honestly believe it's both from the context. 
that we can stand boldly before God because we have right standing with Christ. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19, uh, I'm going to read it very quickly. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, by what? The blood of Jesus that has sanctified you and made you new. It says, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Look at that. To draw near. There's no distance anymore. Draw near with full assurance. That's the word, full assurance. It's, it's likened to boldness. You come with full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. The, word, the, the phrase evil conscience means the, any thought of condemnation. Every thought that you are not in right standing with God. That's the evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Praise the name of Jesus. I believe in terms of right standing as he is, so are we in this world. But even more so in terms of right living. As he is love, we have been called to be love in this world. We've been called to be his ambassadors in this world. This is how we know that love has been perfected. That we can stand before him on the day of judgment knowing that he loves us. But even then we can walk in this love that he's called us to walk in. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. It says, there is no fear in love. This is 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Ha! There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So you see how John is explaining what being perfect, made perfect in love. This, this perfect love of God. If you've been perfected in it, it has a look. If the love of God has had its work in you. It has a look. The perfect love of God has had its perfect work in you. It looks like boldness. It looks like full assurance of faith in the day of, 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 of judgment. And there is no fear because what perfect love casts out what? Fear. Now, some, sometimes some people ask this question, why, why is he saying that there is no fear in love? I thought we were supposed to fear God. I mean, 1 Peter 2, 17 says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king, fear God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. So what, what are you saying that there's no fear in love? It, it's, it's all language. When you talk about fear, fearing in, in the context of God, every time you look at it, you will see fear God in terms of honor, in terms of regard, respect. Esteem, you esteem him so highly. Where First Peter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be able, ready to always make a defense for him. He's saying that sanctify means to, to revere God so highly that you create a space in your heart for him. It's honor for God, it's fear. That's the healthy kind. But there's a fear, like he describes now, he says, There's a fear that brings torment. Where and you're always looking at your back, always unsure. You hear one trumpet and you're like, ah, but you forgot there's a parade in the street. You're like, is that the trumpet where Jesus is coming back? I'm not sure I'm ready. 
I'm not sure I'm going back with the Lord. I, I've done, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Kenneth. You don't. That's the problem. All this uh, grace, God loves you. Oh, it's so cute. It can be bold. I can't feel that way. You don't, you don't know my life. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've gone through. How can I come before God? Do you know how dirty I am? God is so holy and so pure. But that's the point. Even in the old covenant, as much as God was so holy and so pure, anyone, no matter who they were, no matter what they had done, if they were sprinkled by the blood and called according to his purpose, like the Levites were, they were a Levite, you were sprinkled by blood, you're fine. You're fine. And we know that we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we've been sprinkled by the, by, the, by the blood of Jesus and sanctified by his spirit. That's who we are. That's our life. So you can have access to God. You've been brought near to God by his blood. Hallelujah. No middle wall of partition. There is a boldness. There is a boldness. Hebrews chapter 4 even talks about it when he says to come before his throne of grace. He says to come boldly, boldly, boldly. That is this, the, the, the disposition of the believer in Christ. It's boldness. You have a father that loves you. And this is how you can tell that the love he has shown you is perfected. That the love has been truly received, truly understood. And you know, no matter what, oh, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not peril, not death, not life, nothing. Not demons, not strife, not problems, not sword, not pestilence, nothing. Not sin, not addiction. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And that's when you know that God's love has been perfected. Because perfect love was, des was designed to perfect you. God's love is a love that aims to perfect. Thank you, Jesus. His love was designed to bring boldness. And if you're in a place where you don't feel bold, you don't feel confident, it's a sign that the love of God has not been perfected in your life. And that's not the end of the story. You can grow in that knowledge. You can grow in the understanding. You affirm it. You speak to yourself, God loves me. You know and you believe by, in full assurance of faith that God loves you. That God loves you. That God loves you. <laughs> that God loves you. This is how your, his love is perfected in your life. God loves you. Oh, he's crazy about you. Borderline obsession. And he wants you to be able to stand boldly. I know it's a day for many to tremble. I know the day of the Lord is a day that will come like a thief in the night, unaware. No one knows the time. It's a, it has a scary element to it. But God wants you to know that by reason of his love, that while you are yet a sinner, he died for you. That he, he aimed to make you like him. That when he comes back, he's coming for you. It's you he died for. And it's you he's coming back for. And it's you he's given the fullness of the inheritance he has promised. It's you. So why are you afraid? Do you go to school as a child in primary school and say, ha, huh, I hope my dad picks me up today. I hope, ah, I hope he will take me home. Or I can just easily enter, you know, the security security room. Or I can just go and sleep in the school toilet. If he doesn't, you never think like that. You know, no matter how bad you've been, even if you get F parallel for F for favor, by the way, all through your report card, you will shy enter the house. 
even if it's in the compound, you sleep, you shall be in the house. <laughs> so how much more, God? God who redeemed you, who came for you, who loved you with a perfect love. Glory to Jesus. Oh, someone dare to hear that. Verse 19. Ah, oh, glory to God. We love him. Mm. We love him. Why? We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. I see in this a reciprocation of love. The order is clear from God to us. And then we love him back in response. It's not hard. He's giving you all these things freely to enjoy. He just asks for one thing. Love me and show that you love me in your actions. That's, that's Christianity in a nutshell. I've loved you. I want you to love me back. But show that you really love me by loving others. It, it's a life of love. Christianity without love is not anything at all. This is the simplest way. If anyone asks you what is Christianity, it's love. It's a community of love. It's a relationship of love. It's a transaction of love. Whatever you, however you want to put it, it's love. If you define Christianity and love is not there, you've not defined Christianity. If you define God and love is not there, you've not defined God. If God in if any ways can even be defined. But some people, I've noticed, try to focus so much on, I love God. They try to prove to God that they really love him. And they try to focus on, I love God, or I want to love God. And, and this is what I would just recommend from personal experience and from scriptures. Let the love flow. Receive his love. It, it has power in itself to generate a love for God. There's no one who will do so much for you. It's all about understanding. Do you understand? If there's, imagine, you know, I, I can share this story with you. I can share this story with you. So there is someone that, uh, this was a long time ago, and this was someone, and yeah, I've had many of these experiences where someone starts to beef me or just somehow showed this um, attitude, you know. It's a lady, of course. Um, not of course, but like, you know, it, yeah, you understand. And she was giving me this attitude and all of this, and little did this person know that, and I hope this person is not even watching this, but there was, <laughs> and I, I had, once upon a time, I heard from one of her friends that, you know, she has been sharing her provisions with her in school, taking her cereal because she was low on funds. I took an envelope. I put a sum of 5,000 naira, about 5,000 naira back then. I think it was worth something, right? Put 5,000 naira in this envelope several years ago. And I said, please, can you give this to your friend? Don't tell her that I'm the one. Man, I suffered though. <laughs> I think it even got worse. You know, the fact that this person would see me and still give that irritating look, that attitude. I was fed up. I said, please, go and tell her I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one that gave her this thing. And it's, and I, I'm not the one who would like to, you know, push myself or let people know I did this for... But I felt it was necessary. Let this person know that I love them. I have nothing against them. And this, her roommate told her. And before I knew it, everything changed. Once she understood that this guy actually loves me, 
cares about me, sees me, it, it changed forever. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain. She was just happy. She wanted to be my friend. Wanted to just, you know, buy. I think after she finding out about it from the money, she got to buy me something. And just like that, we became some of well, some very close friends. How? Because she understood that I loved her. She understood that I didn't have an issue with her. I was at peace with her, even though she was not at, at peace with me. And naturally, because she understood and received the love, it flowed in a reciprocation. She started to show it back. Many of us, all we need to do is just understand the gravity of what God has done for us. And the love will flow. It, that's, that's the revelation I'm praying for. That you understand the love of God. That revelation that God gave his life. That it's not just words on paper. It's, it hits you. That it's real in your heart. Then and only then can you truly love God. If, it's in your, if you try to love God by your power, ah, you will fail. The love of God is inspired by his spirit in you. Your understanding activates that, that love. That love that God truly loves me and then it goes back to God. And that's why you can see someone like Elizabeth Elliot being able to for, forgo anything else and say, look, because of my love for God, I'm going to do this. And like we learned about the church in Macedonia, you know, Paul says that because they first gave themselves to the Lord, they first loved the Lord, and so they showed love to the church in Jerusalem by giving beyond what they could even afford. Focus on his love for you, and I promise you, your love for him would be reciprocated. I believe that God's love was designed to inspire us to love him as well. It was designed to inspire love in us. So just rest in his love. Be like John, the same John. He's the same one who wrote John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Call yourself that. Kenneth, the son whom Jesus loved. Yeah, he loves other sons, but he loves me. <laughs> he loves me. Kenneth, the pastor whom Jesus loves, the minister whom Jesus loves. Can you just say that to yourself? Call your name, the child Jesus loves, the child loved by God. Glory to Jesus. Powerful. Now verse 20, and we're, gonna, we're rounding off already. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother. Now, now, now it's, it's linked to when he said, don't just love in word, but also in deed. He's, he's bringing it back again. He wants this thing to sink in. And remember, repeating these things is not tedious. It's for your safety. I'm saying this so that you remember again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. We're back again to chapter one. <laughs> if anyone hates his brother, he is a liar. You say, I love God, but you hate your brother. You're lying. Why? Because for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Mm-hmm. Suspicious, right? Sus. Very sus. <laughs> how can you tell me that God whom you've not seen, you love him, but someone you are seeing live and direct, you, you, you claim you love them, but you, you hate, you claim you love God, and yet you hate this person. You're lying. Because the true proof that you love God is that you love his people. He said, love one another as I have loved you. It's an expression of your love of God when you love people. Have you, know, have you noticed that when you do things directly to the people of God, it's a direct action to God. When you look at Malachi chapter 3, for example, where he says, you people have robbed me. And they ask God, ah, how have we robbed you? 
Say, you've robbed me of the tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings? You, you collect tithes, God? What was he talking about? He was talking about Levites, where his people, he called them. And the people were not remitting their tithes and offerings to these guys. And God took it pee like that. Really pee, so much so that he said, if you are robbing these people, you are robbing me. And we talk about the sheep and the goat and the narrative that Jesus said. He said that some, you know, he said, you, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You, you visited me in prison when I was in prison. Like, wait, you were in prison, Jesus? I was like, no, no, no. As much as you did this to the least of the brethren, you did it to me. So literally, this is what I'm establishing here. If you love someone, if you say that you love a child and the person that God loves, you're literally expressing your love to God. You're literally expressing your love to God. Do you see that? Don't take God's people as a joke. The body of Christ of which you are a part of, you cannot take it for a joke. You are bonded, not by blood, but even something deeper than blood. Spirit! You are bonded by spirit. These are the people you will live with. Think about it. These are the people you will live with forever. And thankfully, by that time when salvation is perfected, don't worry, all, that bad, all those bad characters will drop off. All the bad behaviors, everything will go. They'll be bearable, I promise you. But you will live with these people for the rest of your life. Come on, get it right now on this side of eternity. Love them. Because if you don't love them, it's a direct, it's a direct impact of your love for God. I'm going to read a scripture in Matthew chapter 5. Just to rehash this. Matthew chapter 5 from verse 21. And I'll read till verse 26. Glory to Jesus. Are you learning something? We're almost done. Oh, thank you, Father. It says, verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Verse 22, But I say to you that whoever is angry, and this is exactly what John said, that you're a murderer if you hate your brother. Look at it here again. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Reka, I'll be Oraka, I beg your pardon, which means fool, or, you know, it's, it's, it's an abusive language to, to, to express hatred for someone. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Verse 24, leave your gifts there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, I agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge had you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Verse 26, as surely I say unto you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. He's telling you about the cost, the cost of having beef with someone you call your brother. It's unheard of. There's, there's a huge cost for it. It's huge. Jesus is speaking about it here. He says, first, be reconciled. Don't come and offer any gift or put down any offering or say any prayer. Go and resolve it. There's a scripture, and I, I hope I find it. There's a scripture that says that if it literally talks about married people, that if you're not on good terms with your spouse, how do you think that your prayers will be answered? I think it's Peter that said it. That you're in argument and, 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 and discord with your spouse 
and you think God will hear your prayers? How can one, one flesh be against itself? <laughs> oh, there's some very deep things about this. This, this topic of hate, hating another person has called your brother in the faith. Ah, it's unheard of. It's unheard of. Should not be. Should not be something we should hear. That you are gossiping, you are against, you are antagonizing a brother or a sister in the faith. Ah, no, no, no. The exact opposite. God expects you to shower love. Even within this family of Vivify, the question is, is there anyone that you have a beef with? It might not even be a beef, but just anything that is not of, of, of the spirit. Maybe a thing of the flesh. Maybe it's envy or jealousy or spite. Is she the only one? Is he the only one? Every time, you, you, you. Have you, have you spent time to celebrate this person, to reach out to this person, to love this person, to get to know this person, to be the God that they can see, literally? That they can see you and say, this is, this is, who are you? Has anyone ever said, and the first time I heard it, I knew that I was doing something right. Someone asked me in my school back then, he said, who are you? Like, tell me, who are you? I said, I'm Kenneth. I know, I know you're Kenneth. Who are you? No one does this. No one acts this way. How are you this way? And I'm telling you it's because I spent the time to grow in my revelation of God's love. And I'm still growing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anywhere. I haven't arrived. I'm still growing. But it helps to know that somehow someone sees God in me. Not because I, I said take it, which I can do very well. Not because I'm, I'm ministering in the spirit, but just because of my acts of kindness and patience and forgiveness and love to the undeserving that they can see that God is here. It speaks louder than any miracle, I tell you. The miracle of a changed heart. Who can love like God loves? It's, it's far more miraculous than any, any spiritual gift. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I want you to just, where you are, join me in prayer right now. I'm just going to ask God, God, I want to be the, the, I want to be the Jesus that people see. I want to be the God that people see on the earth. And when people are trying to find where is God, who is God, they can look at me and say, I think there is God in you. There's something beyond you. There's something supernatural about you. By the way you talk, by the way you act, by the way you look, by the way you, you walk, there's something about you, Lord. Let me be an example of you in every way. Come on, pray that prayer right now. Help me to be a replica of you in every way. Help me to be your ambassador truly and genuinely. Help me to represent you wherever I go, wherever I am found. God, I will not live a hypocritical life. I will live a life of love. I will live a life of love. I will follow peace with all men and live in holiness. That men will see my good works and glorify the Father in heaven. In the name of Jesus, that is my testimony. Father, in the name of Jesus, I walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. In a manner that men will see, women will see, they will testify, God is truly with this one. I, they will see my life and say, God truly is with this one. Oh, thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. I know and you want some time to pray. I know. And look, this week, we're going to be prasting, as you already know. And this is a time to spend to understand the love of God, all right? I'm going to pray the second prayer. Lord, it's a sincere prayer I want you to pray. Very sincere. I'm going to say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, wherever I have doubted your love for me, 
whether it's by my actions or inactions, maybe just by my feelings, or maybe just because of circumstances around me, Lord, help me to be perfected in love. Help me to be able to stand boldly and confident, knowing and believing that you love me. Lord, restore my confidence in your love right now. Come on, pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help my unbelief, oh God. Where I've, I've failed to see your love, your unending love for me, help me to see it again. Let my eyes be open. Let my eyes not be blinded by the God of this world. Let the veil be taken away. Let me see in full that you truly love me. Even while I was yet a sinner, even while I'm still trying to find my way and I stumble a bit, you still love me. You are still patient with me. Help me to also be patient with myself as you are patient with me. Oh, come on, pray right now. Talk to this God who loves you to eradicate the, the spots and the shadows of doubt that you may have sometimes about his love for you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, glory to God. In Jesus' name we pray. One last prayer. I'm going to pray this with all of your heart as intently as you can. Ask God, God, in the name of Jesus, help me to grow in the revelation of your love. Even as I'm speaking now, launch me into deeper dimensions of my understanding of your love. That it will flow in my actions with ease. That it will flow in my life. I will know what the love of God is and I will show what the love of God is. Come on, pray that with all you've got. And I may go into revelation of your love. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.